So I'd like to invite Simon up to join me here, and we're going to pray for Simon as he comes and brings our word this morning. Extend a hand to Simon and pray. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for bringing Simon to us. Lord, thank you for what we're going to learn this morning from your word, from the Bible, mm. and from Simon's life. So, Lord, I pray for us as we listen. Give us soft hearts, Lord, to respond to what it is that you're saying to us this morning through your word and your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Anne. Just get myself set up. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's a real privilege to be invited uh, here, St. Barnabas, this morning to speak on the topic of sexuality. Um, I'll introduce myself and sort of my connection to this topic in just a few moments' time. But um, before we do that, we're going to open God's Word together. And as we do that, uh, why don't I just pray? Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it contains uh, all we need relating to uh, salvation and what it means to follow you. Um, we're conscious that, as the series title suggests, we're tackling a, a controversial subject this morning. I do pray you would help us to do so well. I pray you'd help us to do so in a way that helps us understand the heart that you have for us and the purpose that you set uh, before us in the building this morning. Um, may we just leave here with a renewed sense of your goodness and your gospel and knowledge and fulfillment in you. Amen. Um, this morning's reading is going to be taken from Luke chapter 18. And that'll be starting at verse 18 and reading through to verse 30. And so feel free to follow along if you've got a Bible in front of you. Uh, but that's Luke 18 and starting at, verse 30, uh, starting at verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. A 
Uh, you can probably tell from my accents as I was reading that I'm not from around here. I'm very grateful to um, for inviting me along this morning to speak to you on the topic of sexuality. So I'll give you a kind of a who am I. So my name's Simon. Um, I grew up and I actually still live near Preston in Lancashire. And I work for a Christian charity. Our charity is called True Freedom Trust. And True Freedom Trust, or TFT for short, it's been around since 1977, um, quite a while. It's a membership organization. Um, about 1,500 members, and uh, it's really set up to support Christians who experience same-sex attraction themselves, and yet for reasons of faith, uh, choose to live by sort of the historic biblical teaching that marriage is uh, between one man and one woman. And we support people in a few different ways. One of the ways is we have support groups scattered around the UK. We actually call them Barnabas groups, funnily enough. Um, and that's just a, a place where people can connect and be part of community with others who share their experience and um, share that, that conviction and the way that they want to follow Christ. Uh, we have a speaking and teaching ministry, which is what I'm very privileged to lead. So we've got around 10 speakers uh, that go around the UK and Ireland and share um, from personal experience and from the Bible on this topic. And we also produce uh, a range of resources, uh, some of which are, at the, are on the table at the back. So we do a quarterly magazine called Ascend, um, and we've got obviously a website and podcasts and all the other sort of trendy things that people do uh, for resources these days. Um, please do take some of those with you, by the way. <laughs> um, I just want to say from the outset that I'm, I'm acutely aware how deeply sensitive, how deeply emotive this topic is. Um, we've seen just in the Church of England Synod this week the, the sort of various deeply held convictions that people hold on these matters. And I think whatever we think about this week's outcome, the one thing we can definitely all be giving thanks for is that the debates were largely gracious. And it's my hope this morning, as we discuss these matters, as we, as we come back together for the, the Q&A this evening as well, that we will demonstrate uh, grace towards one another. And the reason we want to do that is because we're dealing with people, aren't we? We're dealing with emotions. Um, we're dealing with often uh, same-sex relationships being the place where many people have experienced the greatest love and intimacy uh, they've experienced in their lives so far. Of course, we also never know who in the room is sort of wrestling with this subject personally and may not have told anybody about it before. Um, and the reason that I can say that with such confidence is because for the first six years of my Christian life, that was me. So I don't just come at this topic this morning theologically and biblically, but also personally as somebody who experiences same-sex attraction and has chosen to live a single and celibate life in light of what I believe the Bible teaches on sex and relationships. Uh, so a bit about my background, I come from a, a non-Christian home, I was sort of an only child in a single parent family, it was really just uh, me and my mum as I was growing up, and mum at the time was somebody who was very much, uh, I, sort of, I want to believe in Jesus my own way sort of person, so we never went to church, we never really spoke about faith. And my faith journey actually began when I was 18. Uh, that was off the back of a, a sort of a really persistent friend of mine in sixth form. He was in my A-level computing class, and he kept inviting me to church, and I just kept saying no. Um, not really something I'm interested in. I had this preconceived idea of what church meant. You know, maybe it was just smells and bells and, and things that didn't really uh, excite me very much. Um, but eventually he invited me to his baptism. 
And obviously he was a, a close friend of mine. This is clearly something that meant a lot to him, or he wouldn't have kept inviting me to church. And so I thought, well, okay, I want to be a supportive friend, so I'll go along um, and, and be at his baptism. And he sort of got me into church by stealth off the back of that. Um, so the church he was in at the time didn't have its own facilities, didn't have its own building. So it was sort of a, a renter building on a Saturday. And we went there, um, he was baptized. We went back to his house afterwards, a bit of, a, bit of an after party. Um, and then we all ended up going to church the following morning because we all stayed overnight, went to church on the Sunday morning. And I didn't realise, but the church he'd been inviting me to for all those years was about a two-minute walk from my house. Uh, it was right round the corner. Um, and I just kept going from then on, week in, week out. A lot of my friends from college were there, and it was just nice to see them outside of a college context. For those kind of early months, I was really just treating church like it was a bit of a, a, bit of a social club, if I'm being honest. Um, but eventually, we went on this youth weekend away um, in the Lake District, a place near Keswick called St. John's in the Vale, a really nice bit of the world. And maybe I'd just not been paying attention in church all the weeks that I had been there, but I remember that weekend feeling like the weekend where I'd heard the gospel for the first time, the good news of what Jesus had done for us on the cross, uh, that he's taken our sins upon himself uh, to grant us forgiveness, grant us the ability to come and be in a relationship with God. And for the next two weeks, I couldn't get this sort of niggling sensation out of the back of my mind that what I'd heard was true, and it was something that I needed to respond to. And so it was that literally two weeks before I started university, I sort of acknowledged uh, Christ's lordship over my life. Um, in terms of my same-sex attraction, that's something that I've known about since I was maybe eight or nine years old. Um, quite young, but uh, not uncommon for somebody to know about at that age. Um, it wasn't something I chose to experience. It was just kind of, you just, I just found myself more attracted to my male peers than I did my, my female peers. Um, and I was a, a teenager in the, the noughties, as they're often called. Um, and that was a time when you really, you didn't tell your peers that you were gay. Um, I was already this like pale, skinny, nerdy kid. And, you know, I wore glasses, I couldn't throw or catch a ball for toffee. Um, I really didn't want to give anybody any more reason to bully me than it felt like they already had. So I just hid it. I pushed it to the back of my mind. I tried not to think about it. I didn't tell anybody. And when I became a Christian at the age of 18, and you've probably got enough information now that you can calculate my age if you want to, but uh, when I became a Christian at 18, I kind of did that with the knowledge that it didn't feel like the Bible spoke favorably of same-sex marriage or same-sex sexual activity. And whether that was just diary lessons or, or what, I don't know. Um, but I think I was aware of what you sometimes hear being called clobber passages. And those are those passages in scripture that seem to sort of clearly prohibit uh, same-sex sexual activity. So I'm thinking of places like uh, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9, Romans 1, 26 and 27, um, etc. But I just thought, well, I can just keep on doing what I have been doing. I can just hide my sexuality, ignore it, not tell anybody. But for me, that turned out to not be a great long-term strategy. I think there's a few reasons for that. I think sometimes our churches can be really marriage-focused. I think it can feel like marriage is often um, held on this, this pedestal, like it's a rite of passage that every Christian must experience in order to move on to this next stage in human flourishing. Um, in fact, when I was a little older, um, I used to serve in the, the youth ministry at my first church, and I used to do that alongside this uh, an older lady. She was lovely, completely lovely, and utterly well-meaning, but she sort of had the rep a reputation as being like the church matchmaker. Um, Every church has one. She was the church matchmaker. Um, and she kept trying to sort of set me up with some of the girls my age in church. And it felt like she was saying, Simon, you are just one trip to Costa Coffee away from a life of eternal married bliss. <laughs> 
no. <laughs> I had to sort of get pretty adept at wriggling my way out of meeting anybody that she was sort of trying to set me up with. But the message was kind of loud and clear. It sort of felt like church was saying to me, well, being single in your early 20s, that's normal. Being single in your mid-20s, oh, you should probably have a girlfriend around about now. It's like single in your late 20s, people start to worry what's wrong with you. Um, but as far as that, I also remember the struggle, having these two sort of seemingly contradictory desires, one to sort of please the Lord in the way that I think I should in light of what I've read in Scripture, and the other to be in a same-sex relationship. I remember walking with that contradiction, feeling really just lonely and isolating. Um, I remember thinking I must be the only person in the world that was, that was wrestling with that dynamic. And it's funny, but being lonely and isolated actually only increases the temptation that we feel to do things that we don't want to do. And so there were definitely times that I went on and did things that I later went on to regret. Um, friendships, they can also get quite complicated. Um, churches were often great at talking about sex and sexual ethics, um, but there's also this whole kind of emotional romantic side to, to struggling with same-sex attraction as well. In fact, one of the most painful experiences of my struggle has been sort of falling completely head over heels in love with a friend of mine um, and sort of expecting him to fulfill me or be the source of my happiness, putting him in a place um, that only Jesus can really fulfill. It's, it's not a great place whether we're gay or straight um, to have somebody in that place where our entire sense of happiness depends on our access to somebody. And finally, I just remember thinking, well, there must be more to it than this. Uh, my first church, it was quite charismatic. It often spoke about the grace message, the goodness of God to us. But I felt like I was just following a really legalistic Christianity. I felt like I was following a, a rule book. I didn't see how those prohibitions against same-sex sexual activity fit into God's plans and his purposes for humanity. And it's kind of a combination of all of those things that led to me contacting TFT. And it's been a huge source of blessing, being able to walk in community with others who are kind of sharing that same burden, uh, many of them for a lot longer than me. And it's also helped me to kind of square that circle. You know, why are those prohibitions against sexual activity, all kinds of sexual activity, against male-female marriage there? You know, what hope does the gospel have for somebody like me who's entirely unable uh, to act on their sexual attractions? Uh, from my passage this morning, I just want to share a few uh, foundational principles, things that I've really had to wrestle with as I've been trying to reconcile my faith with my same-sex attraction. Um, you might be looking at the, the Luke 18 passage that we just read, and you might be thinking, well, Simon, that passage doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. And in a sense, you're absolutely right. But that passage does tell us a lot about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, what it ought to look like to follow him, and why we ought to do it. So, to set us in context, uh, the passage we read earlier, it details Jesus' encounter with a chap that's usually referred to as the rich ruler. And this is a man who asked Jesus what he must do in order to inherit eternal life. And we see in verse 21, he believes that he's a good person. He's followed the Lord's commands since his youth. I mean, I mentioned that I used to feel like I was living quite legalistically. This chap is living legalistically. But in verse 22, Jesus says to him that he's still lacking. He lacks treasure in heaven. And he sets about explaining to the ruler what he must do in order to get it. He has to lose all of his wealth and give it away to the poor if he's to follow Jesus. 
Um, it's actually the final two verses of our reading that I really want to focus in on this morning. So verses 29 and 30. So I'll just give us a quick reminder of those verses because it's been 10 minutes, hasn't it? Um, so they say, Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So there's three things I want to draw out of these verses. And the first is the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. And what do I mean when I say that discipleship is costly? Well, I mean that the disciples of Christ are called to give up things that this world thinks are valuable. The rich ruler was called to give up his wealth. And in verse 29, Jesus speaks of people giving up their, their wives, their brothers, their sisters, their parents, their children, etc., in order to follow him. Jesus' disciples are the people who have put their relationship with Jesus above all other relationships. Um, a couple of years ago, I attended one of our RTFT Barnabas groups, our local support groups, and um, it was meeting in, in a local church building one evening. And after our kind of our usual time of, of Bible, biscuits, and banter, and whatever else it is we do, um, we sort of you know, set out to leave, um, went down the stairs, into the car park, got in the car, engine on, reverse gear, started moving backwards, and then, bang, um, I managed to hit a parked car that was behind me. And it couldn't have been anything more expensive either. It was one of those sort of big mini countryman type things. Um, I did the right thing. I left a note explaining what had happened. I left my contact details. Uh, long story short, I ended up paying £300 to fix the damage to this person's car. And I remember saying to the group leader, like, would I have gone had I known what the evening was going to cost me? You know, I've been to sort of week-long Christian camping events that haven't cost me that much money. Um, would I have gone if I'd have known what it cost me? But Jesus is, is refreshingly blunt. Um, he doesn't sort of let you buy a TV and then you only find out later you can't get Disney Plus on it. I'm still bitter about what happened to me. Um, <laughs> I've kind of had to make my peace with the fact that my discipleship is going to cost me something, as it should all of us. All of us should be able to identify a cost to our discipleship. And in my case, that's meant sacrificing any potential relationship that I see as incompatible with walking with him which for me is, is having a romantic and sexual partner of my preference. But why do I do it? Well, that's the second thing that I want us to see from these verses in verse 29. Why have all these people left their wives, brothers, sisters, etc.? Well, they've done it for the sake of the kingdom of God. For the sake of the kingdom of God. So we've seen the cost of discipleship, and I think here we see the call of the kingdom. Um, Leviticus 18 is arguably the first place in the Bible where we see one of those direct prohibitions I've been talking about against same-sex sexual activity, and that's among a whole lot of other prohibitions about uh, extramarital sex. But what's really interesting, actually, is how that chapter starts. Um, so Leviticus 18, 1-4, I'll just read this to you briefly. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. So the Egyptians are following the Egyptian statutes. The Canaanites are following the Canaanite statutes. And God's people are following God's statutes. In other words, there's meant to be something distinctive about Christian living. Christians are meant to live as though they are citizens of a different kingdom. 
think about the dominant view of sort of sex in England today, what do we think uh, sex is for? Probably one of the big things is that it's about pleasure, right? It's about feeling good, um, and that ultimately means that it doesn't really matter kind of what we're doing or who we're doing it with. But what about sex in God's kingdom? What does God say that sex is for? Well, we see sex right up front in the first chapter of the Bible. God creates male and female in his image and immediately gives them an instruction. Go, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And perhaps we can unpack this um, further a little later on this evening, but uh, sex in God's kingdom is intimately connected with God's purposes for humanity. We sort of see sex is about filling the earth with people that are made in God's image, people that are walking with him and acting as vice regents over creation. Of course, there's a few more things it's about as well, um, but that's a key, that's, that's the first thing we see, a really key point. What about marriage? Um, Ephesians 5, it's about kind of the reconciliation of two beings that were once together, because of course women was taken out of man, Eve was taken out of the side of Adam as he slept, and it's about bringing them back together in kind of an unbreakable covenant relationship, which reflects actually our being made right with God once more through Christ. Of course, we were once with him, and now um, off to try and go our own way. So sex and marriage in God's kingdom are meant for distinctive purposes, but also actually it's worth pointing out that Christians are called to have distinctive characters. Um, it's, I think it's right that we lament the fact that the church hasn't always treated LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual people with the inherent value, dignity, and worth they carry as people that are made in God's image. And we need to remember that when we interact with those outside our walls. That needs to be the first thing that we remember, that God loves them, he created them, and he does not desire that any should perish. As we come into land, one final point uh, from verse 30. Um, so no one who walks that road of costly discipleship for the call of the kingdom, verse 30 says, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Friends, it's not who we're married to, it's not who we're sleeping with. Those aren't the relationships that carry eternal significance. Um, they don't matter eternally. Um, the kind of marriage that some of us will experience in this creation is, is an echo of the marriage that is to come between Christ and his church, as I, as I know you were uh, discussing a couple of weeks ago. Um, like the marriage that we have, um, Christ demonstrates his love and his longing for us in that he makes covenant promises to welcome us into his household and never let us go. Of course, unlike us, unlike us, he keeps those promises. His is the only relationship that will never let us down. And of course, Christ sets us in community with other believers, his church. And actually, it's a real challenge for the church, particularly for those of us um, who are single. For us, the church, our brothers and our sisters, well, they are our primary source of intimacy with other people. And of course, I believe the church is called to be the primary source of intimacy for believers with other believers. I hope everybody in the room likes each other because we're going to have to spend a really long time together uh, in the new creation. Um, I spoke earlier about the kind of loneliness and isolation that I felt when I was younger and that increasing the temptation that I felt to do things that I didn't want to do. You know, actually, my church community, the TFT community, have been immensely helpful in helping me get my needs for intimacy with others met in healthy ways. And it's right that we help and support one another with our burdens. And having those kind of otherwise good and healthy relationships with other people, for me, massively reduces that temptation I feel to go off in a different direction. 
And for those of us who are single and celibate, I think actually our sexuality serve as a really helpful reminder to us that we don't need sex to keep going. Um, it doesn't contribute <laughs> towards our own personal uh, relationship, our personal being able to be with God. Instead, actually, our singleness clears the way for us to look at Jesus as the only one that can truly fulfill. So let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you that um, you have the, the ability, the power to fulfill us. I do thank you that our relationship with you is the only one that truly matters. I thank you that you have made a way for us to come back and be in relationship with you through what happens on the cross. Lord, we recognize that these are difficult matters. Um, help us to think this through. Help us to be gracious with one another. We recognize that there is so much complex emotion involved that we're often dealing with the thing that's at the very center of a person's identity because it is the place where they've found that love and that intimacy, um, probably the greatest they've experienced so far. But Lord, we just pray that you would help all of us to experience the greatest love and intimacy of our lives in you. And we pray you'd remind us of that each day. Amen.